Welcome to the Relaxed Running Podcast, the show that helps runners and athletes in running-based sports transform the way they run. Here's your host, Tyson Popplestone. Ladies and gents, Tyson Popplestone here. This is the Relaxed Running Podcast. Welcome Glad to have you guys here and really excited to introduce to you for the first time on the Relax Running Podcast today, Matt Fitzgerald. He's coming at us out of California at the moment, though he's getting ready for a big move to, to create one of his dreams, a, a little running hub for anyone who wants to go and train in northern Arizona. So I know that you guys are going to be excited about that. Some of you will. Some of you running nerds are going to love it. I know you're going to hit him up after that. Matt Fitzgerald is a really prominent, prolific author in the world of distance running he's he's written he's written a whole heap of books i honestly don't even know how many his name has been on my mind for a long time as a guy that i'd like to invite onto the show and he was good enough to do it today we speak about uh one of his books the comeback quotient Uh, comeback quotient it's all about the struggles the challenges that every athlete whether brand new to the sport or whether competing at the highest level have to go through we all inevitably hit a hurdle that we have to try and find our way back from What is it that successful athletes do that the rest of us are not doing in these moments? Why do some people push through and create for themselves like a little rocky story where others say, okay, you know what, I think my time in this sport is done. That's what we covered today. It was a really, really interesting conversation. I'm uh, I'm excited to have this guy back again. Uh, Before you listen to it, just a reminder, uh, anything that you need in the world of distance running, whether that's training programs for distance running or for triathlon or running-based sports, Check it out over at relaxrunning.com. But for now, let me introduce to you and to the Relax Running podcast, Matt Fitzgerald. I've glanced through quite a number of your book titles and listened to quite a number of your podcasts and I'm amazed at how much knowledge you have on so many subjects. So exciting to have you here, man. It's a, it's a real honor to, to be able to sit down and have a chat with you and I was thinking before I hit record about what, what I was most interested in, what I thought the audience of, of mine would be most interested in. And from what I can tell, a lot of the audience is relatively new to the sport of distance running. They're, they're here looking for guidance from you know, experts in the industry. And uh, I'm often answering questions around pacing and I'm often answering questions around setbacks. And with that said, I thought, well, you're the perfect man for the job because you've got a book on both of those topics. Yeah, I was curious um, to, to see if you were happy to have a little bit of a chat to, to kick the conversation off around um, elements of a comeback that, that we can really invest in. Because, uh, yes. yeah, this is, this is something that I've seen. You've, you've spoken about at depth, something that all of us at, at some stage struggle with. Um, so that's where I was thinking we could take the conversation. But before any of that, Maybe you could take the floor for a minute and just introduce yourself and let the audience know a, a bit about who you are and what your passion in the sport is. Sure. Yeah, I um I started uh, running when I was competitively when I was uh, eleven years old. Uh, I'm fifty one now, so that's a long time ago. Um, and uh, it's funny. I was inspired to start running by my father, who who ran his first marathon when I was when I was eleven. Um, my dad is also a writer. Um, uh, and so I think I, I, I got both the running and the writing, uh, from him and growing up, I was passionate about both. I didn't necessarily anticipate, you know, bringing them together professionally, but that's the way things worked out a couple of years after I, uh, finished college, I, I got a job, um, 
with a new startup endurance sports magazine. Um, and you know, that first break just, you know, it was the only door I needed open. Like I, I, I discovered what I wanted to do with the rest of my career, um, got into coaching, not, not too long after that. Um, and then fast forwarding a little bit further, um, uh, created a business. I did, I'm like the world's least likely entrepreneur, but, um, <laughs> One thing led to another, and I created a, an online training business for uh, endurance athletes called 8020 Endurance. Um, I'm, I'm coming at you from California, but I'm, I'm actually in the process of moving. So uh, within a few weeks, uh, I, I will be based in uh, Flagstaff, Arizona. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yep. That'll be a nice little change up. Is that uh, a lifestyle change? Is that uh, for running combination of both? Yeah, a little bit of both. I spent a summer there um, in 2017. I um, I embedded myself with a team of professional runners there. So at the time, I was 46 years old. I had never been a professional runner. I, I just wasn't that good, even when I was younger. But um, you know, I was I was able to pull some strings and convince the coach of a, of a professional running team, Northern Arizona Elite, to allow me to spend an, uh, 13 weeks with the team. Uh, just doing everything they do just to find out what what's possible for a middle-aged uh you know uh, you know recreational runner if they just you know completely like do everything right uh, like the pros do um and in the pro it was just an amazing experience but in, in the process fell in love with flagstaff it's it's just a runner's paradise uh so i've been kind of looking for ways to get back ever since then and and uh came up with one. Actually, you know, what I want to do is it, it was such a magical experience I had that summer that I, you know, I wrote a book about it. So I was able to kind of share it with other runners in that way, but I really want to make the thing itself available to other runners. So uh, the home that my wife and I are, are buying, we're going to turn it into like the ultimate runners retreat uh, and actually open our doors to uh, runners who want to come stay. Um, awesome. There'll be four, four other bedrooms, so not, not a lot uh, of space, but, but it's, it's basically come one, come all. And it's, uh, I'm doing it in affiliation with the same professional running team that I was embedded with. So like all the same, you know, just amazing opportunities I had, uh, other runners will have uh, beginning uh, next spring is, is when I hope to launch it. I can tell you there would have been plenty of Australian running ears that just pricked up then because I know for <laughs> us as well there's a it's a it's a real hotbed it's a real training uh, it's like the mecca uh, for yep. so many athletes in the yeah. distance running world. What what year did you say that you first went down to Flagstaff to run with the group? 2017. 2017. That might be a bit after. One of my good friends. I'm not sure if you know the Australian runner Dave McNeil. He's a 13. I think he's run 13 10 for 5,000 meters. Like he's a he's yep. run at a couple of Olympics. He was based there for quite a few years. And I think that was my my first introduction to the place just through okay. following his progress. And you've got a little bit of altitude there as well, don't you? You're, you're running around with a, a little bit thinner air. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's more than a little altitude. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty high up. And, and that was a first for me. I, I had, you know, I had traveled to altitude and, you know, run one, two, three days at, at high elevation. But, you know, this was my first exposure to, you know, concentrated altitude training and it's not everyone responds well to it. Um, I mean, there's a reason, you know, runners seek it out, but you're rolling the dice a little bit in terms of how it affects you individually. But I, I luckily responded very well to it. 
Yeah, beautiful. Over here, we uh, I'm not sure what it is in feet, but I think our highest training point in Australia is Falls Creek, and I think it might be around 1,600 metres, which is nothing too crazy. But even there, I know for a month over sort of the December, January period, a lot of Australia's elite runners go and do some of their longer aerobic work there. And mm -hmm. even then, they'll still drive down the mountain um, yep. you know, a couple of thousand metres, oh, well, a, a couple of thousand feet at least, to hit their track workouts to make sure they're, they're still busting out some intensity. So I've never personally done a whole heap of altitude work, but I've followed the scene here pretty closely, and it's one that one that really fascinates me. So so, so with your uh, your online coaching platform, is that what you're doing mostly? Are you mostly writing training programs for people? Because obviously we'll get into a bit more depth around um, the areas of expertise that you've written your books and things on, but what's the foundation of the coaching that you're doing? Yeah, I coach in, uh, I, I guess, you know, I, I, I see myself as having three um, distinct roles with a lot of overlap. Um, one is, you know, running a, an online business, um, which is, um, you know, it, it's training resources delivered, you know, to the masses, um, you know, through, through that platform. And it's not just run runners, it's all endurance athletes. So we cater to, you know, cyclists, triathletes, swimmers, um, obstacle course racers as well. Um, and it's, it's really cool. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's, it's just, it's way bigger than I ever could, could have imagined uh, it would be when, when I started off. So, so that is, um, you know, that, that's a lot of fun. Like I, I build a lot of the training content um, for it. Uh, but I still love coaching one-on-one -on -one and, you know, we don't do that. Uh, there, there's a, a fair amount of one-on-one -on -one interaction, but um, I, so, you know, because I'm busy and I, I have my fingers in, in a few different pies, I, I limit my one-on-one -on -one coaching to five athletes at a time. Um, usually a mixture of, of runners and, and, and triathletes and, and, um, and that's like that, that's the maximum number I can give the attention that I, it's just, it's not, it's not fun for me any other way than to be really be all in and provide, you know, just a high level of surf, uh, service to athletes and, you know, develop a relationship. And then the third bucket would be my writing. You know, that really is my first passion. I still think of it as the only thing I'm any, any good at. Um, <laughs> and I'm just full of ideas. Like I always have things I want to write about. Um, so that, uh, you know, not a day goes by without, uh, me scribbling a little something. Is that right? You're carrying your notebook around with you with all the ideas flooding through your mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's the worst when they happen at night and like, you know, <laughs> you won't remember it in the morning. And so you have to get up and, uh, you know, punch it into your phone or something. But it's yeah. funny. It sounds like me. I do a, a outside of the running world. I've got a similar setup to you by the sounds of things with the, the online running coaching element, but, um, the, the notebook element for me, I do a lot of stand up comedy here in oh, Victoria. Okay. Yeah. And the notebook is a, is a constant with me because I know the frustration of waking up in the middle of the night and uh, having an idea that you think's funny and then go, no, I'll remember that one. And then right. waking up a few hours later and going, I have absolutely <laughs> no idea yeah. what that idea was going to be. But man, it's, it's really interesting. It's a great introduction. And um, I totally understand that idea of, of working with five athletes because yeah, as you say, your time's limited and to be able to offer quality programs, it's a bit hard when you get out into sort of double figures and beyond. But I started the uh, conversation with sort of the, um, you know, the finger pointing towards this direction of the conversation around a comeback, because as I sort of set the foundation with whether you're brand new to the sport or you've been involved for a couple of years, eventually 
the moment comes where you're going to have to deal with a setback, an injury, um, yeah, poor form, whatever it is that you're trying to navigate your way through. It's just part of the package, unfortunately. And I can only guess that the interest in that topic would have come from personal experience. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah, very, very much so. Um, you know, the way I the way I frame it is that, you know, it's never perfect in this sport. Like, there's even when things are going well, they're they're not perfect. Um, and so, for me, you know, a setback is really just, um, you know, it's different in degree, but not in type, or you know, it's it's quantitatively versus qualitatively different from any other time. Like you're always running up against some kind of challenge. So, you know, you know, I would say, you know, some athletes have more setbacks uh, than others, like, you know, the big ones and some, some have bigger setbacks than others, but regardless um, you, you are facing challenges constantly and you, you need to have a toolkit in place for navigating challenges whether it's like things are close to perfect and you just want to you're not you're still not content and you want them to be perfect or you know you've they've really gone off the rails and in you know it's like you know you're just trying to keep your head above water uh, as a runner um so it's you know it's i i view it i do this as a coach too i tell athletes it's like for me it's all the same like I, i'm focused on problems there's always something we can work on um but yeah, but you need to have those tools, whether it's going well or not so well. Yeah, it's obviously it's a it's a nuanced kind of a conversation because with any kind of setback, it's not just the physical injury or the well, you know, insert whatever the frustration is. It's that mental side of that return to the sport as well, or that return to top form. And I'm always interested to hear about mental strategies and just some practical tools that you can apply to a situation like that to help you navigate your way through. Is there sort of core principles that you teach in and around this subject that you give people to help focus on. And obviously I'll link your books and things for those who are interested in hearing more about it. But as a way of introduction to the the topic itself, how do you navigate either yourself or the athletes that you're working with through a period like that? Yeah. I have a very consistent orientation toward, um, you know, all facets of, you know, coaching, runners and other endurance athletes, whether it's the training component, the nutrition component, or, or the mental component. I I'm a big believer in, um, identifying and emulating proven best practices. So, you know, I, I love science. I pay a lot of attention to, uh, you know, relevant science in, in, in this domain, but I always, you know, my first, focus of attention is always the elites, the best in the world. Like, what are they doing? And, and so my book, The Comeback Quotient, is really about that. Uh, I look for, you know, everyone's unique, everyone's different, but there, there are commonalities. You, know, you can only get to the top by doing certain things right, you know, by, by you know, not breaking some unbreakable rules. And, and so with The Comeback Quotient, I, I, I just studied, I do what I always do, whatever the subject matter, I studied um, you know, just amazing comebacks that, that endurance athletes have achieved and just sort of broke them down and looked for, okay, you know, is there anything that they're all doing? Because on the surface, they look extremely different. Um, you know, in the book, I talk about everything from, uh, Kenyan runner, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Camworor, 
slipping and falling on the start line of the World Half Marathon Championship in 2016 and getting trampled by dozens of runners behind him and then having to get up and salvage his race. He ended up winning that, that race. So that's, that's one kind of setback. I, I talk about an, another athlete, uh, uh, an elite off-road triathlete from, from back in the, in the 90s, uh, Jamie Whitmore, who developed a, a cancerous tumor in her um, kind of her, her buttock. And, and it just, it, 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 it almost killed her and the surgeries required to remove it. Um, she had to have a lot of muscle removed as well. So she ended up coming back as a Paralympic cyclist. So her, her professional, you know, elite triathlon career was over, but she came all the way back in a, a completely different sport. So I think she's the only athlete I know of who's, who was a world champion in one endurance sport and a Paralympic gold medalist in, an, in another sport. So on the surface, that looks absolutely nothing like camel or, you know, falling and, and getting trampled. But underneath, I did find commonalities that they're all really doing the, the same thing. And I'll just, you know, very quickly to tie a bow on this, uh, we can dig deeper if you like. What, what they're all doing is, is, as I put it, like fully facing the reality they're presented with, which is kind of a three-step process um, first you have to accept it. Like you have to accept what is happening because you can't start to solve it. If you just get stuck in the mode of wishing it hadn't happened or boohooing or feeling sorry for yourself. Once you accept it, you have to then embrace it. Embrace. It doesn't mean you're, you decide you try to convince yourself. You're glad, uh, you fell on the start line or, or, or got cancer. Of course not. Uh, embracing it means you commit to making the best of it regardless. So you're just pivoting. And saying, all right, this isn't what I wanted, but I'm still going to, to make the best of the situation, even if my original goal is unattainable because of, of events. And then the third and final step in the process is addressing the reality. Um, and that means just doing everything in your power um, to, to achieve that best possible outcome. And that requires both effort, effort and judgment. You know, the effort is the, the obvious part. You have to try really, really hard. Everyone knows that. But you know, if you look at the great athletes, when they pull off these amazing comebacks, it's, it's not just grit and resilience. It's every bit as much being smart and, and keeping their heads and making really good decisions. Yeah, it's a really good point. I, I love that it starts with an acceptance of the fact that it's happened. Because I noticed even with my own life, Whenever there's something that's going against me or it's going the opposite direction to what I was anticipating, the first reaction, obviously, in many is, is to try and reject it, is to be like, no, no, it's not happening. Yep. And with that, um, you know, I speak for myself, but I, I know I speak for a lot of others. There's a huge element of tension that comes through your body when you realize that things aren't going as you're expecting them to go. And until you can deal with that tension, especially in a, a, you know, a physically taxing sport like distance running or any endurance sport, going to be really difficult to use your energy effectively you're trying to operate in a state of rejection so what was the process of you discovering this was this just looking at a whole range of athletes and just getting that famous notebook of yours out and really just <laughs> trying to write down the commonalities and unpack what these athletes are doing so well because the beauty with a book like that is as we've touched on there's endless amounts of people who can leave you with these examples but they're obviously two really huge examples on a world yep. scale of um, what is capable, but it's a cool, it's a cool, simple, broken down idea of what's taking place there. But I know 
that like so many ideas that eventually get presented simply, it doesn't start off that way. So yeah, what was the, uh, what was the process of discovery like that for you? Yeah. You know, I sort of make it sound like I'm, you know, a scientist and went about it scientifically, but I'm not a scientist and that's not really not my, my method. So the way, you know, those ideas coalesced in my mind was, you know, I, I, I occupy kind of a unique position in endurance sports where um, I coach almost exclusively um, amateur athletes. Um, so, you know, people who are not, you know, making their living through their, their race performances, just everyday folks who have a passion for running or whatever. Um, but I, I, um, I interact with a lot of world-class endurance athletes and, and, and really get to know them, a lot of them, you know, on a very human level. And it's just interesting when you have one foot in each of these realms, you start to notice differences and it's not that all recreational athletes are one way and all elite athletes are, are another way, but there are clear patterns and you start to see why the elites are elite. So it was just through this experience. And also as an athlete myself, you know, I, I, you know, when I say that I believe in emulating best practices, well, I'm the first person to, to do that, you know, before anyone I coach, like I'm, I'm, that's what I'm doing, you know, if, uh, to benefit my own, athletic uh, pursuits. Um, so it was just, you know, through, I, I started to notice that, um, you know, like, you know, an elite athlete for whom, you know, something catastrophic, catastrophically goes wrong. They're just, they're just so quick to pivot from prob problem focus to solution focus. So everyone has that, what I call, oh shit moment. Like that's, that's just human nature. Like when it goes wrong, you're not happy about it. You're often taken by off guard. So you're both, you're shocked, you're disappointed. Everyone experiences that, but the, the elites are really, really quick to just say, oh, well, whatever, you know, th this is, this was the hand I, I was dealt. And then they move on to those other steps. And I, you know, I see so many recreational athletes who just get stuck in focusing on the problem. Like, oh, why did this have to happen to me? Like, it's it's ruined, my goal is out the window. It's like, snap, snap out of it. Like, it, it's understandable. Um, so that that's really um, where it all started. And so when I started like a formal research process, I kind of already knew what I was looking for. Um, and so I just, you know, I just kind of immersed myself. You know, there's always an evolution. I think I know what I'm talking about. And then I do the deep, deep research and, I, and things change. Um, but, you know, I, I wasn't going in completely blind and just, you know, studying a bunch of case studies and and having to, you know, invent a theory whole cloth. Yeah. Yeah. So with the three principles, obviously, I might take up your offer and, and dig a little deeper into them because they're really interesting. And it'd be nice to unpack them a little bit and see how that plays out, because obviously the, the practical application of something like that is incredibly beneficial to athletes at all levels but but when it gets to well we'll go through it when you when you say like the accident or the um frustration or whatever we're going to say has taken place uh and that moment of acceptance has to come what what does that first process look like is there a way that you break that down and um show people how to do it or, or help people take steps towards doing it yeah um I, the 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 first step is um is really um you know, there's this concept of um, in psychology uh, known as metacognition, and, and it's it's a it's a big fancy word that basically just means 
thinking about thinking or thinking about feeling. So we we all we're all constantly thinking and feeling, but we're not always stepping back from our own thoughts and emotions. Um, and that is a critical, that's foundational. Like we're all capable of, of metacognition, but there's actually research showing that elite athletes uh, do, do more of it and do it in, in more effective ways. Um, and so that's key because often, when, excuse me, when, you know, when something goes wrong, um, you know, it, 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 it's, you know, it's stressful and it can, it can, it can feel like, and actually sometimes be a kind of crisis and in, in sort of, you know, critical moments like that, it's easy to be kind of swallowed up by the experience, like not to be overly dramatic, but the analogy I make is like, you know, a drowning man doesn't make shopping lists. Like if, if you're, if you're in the process of drowning, that is the only thing you're, you're thinking about. And, and so in the, that first moment when, when, when stuff goes wrong, that's sort of the, it's easy to slip into that mindset where you, you, you're very reactive. And, and the trouble with that is when, when you're, when you're, when you're not able to step back from your uh, own thoughts and emotions and actions, I should say, um, then you're not, you, you have no freedom to make choices. You, you're simply like a, a stimulus, cr crude stimulus response mechanism, and you're just doing what your emotions tell you to do. But when you, when you're able to just have, sort of train yourself to like, again, everyone has the oh shit moment, but how quickly can you realize, okay, something went wrong and now let's back up. And because you always have options. So, so, so often it doesn't feel like it. And in the worst situations, your only option is to change your attitude, you know, versus the situation itself. But even that is still freedom that can never be taken away from you. So, so that's like, that's, that's really the first thing I encourage athletes to do is like, get in the habit. And it's easier said than done. Like if you don't do it naturally, but, and, and, and a helpful way to really kind of get a foothold in that is, is um, treat negative emotions like pain. Like if you're out running and you just get like a sharp, sudden jolt in your knee, that gets your attention. You immediately interpret it as a problem and you start thinking about, okay, what just happened? What caused it? What, what do I do about it? Do I stop running? Do I rub it? Um, you should treat negative emotions the same way because that's really, the, they're, they're, they're very much parallel um, to, to pain. It's a signal that you're not happy about something. So whether it's like, you know, uh, you know, it could be disappointment, it could be anger, it could be grief, um, a, a whole, a whole list of things like that's your first signal. So, so because, you know, that, that's, that's your opportunity to make that sort of metacognitive leap. Um, so, you know, it, it's like an alarm going off. Okay. Like I'm, I'm suddenly just feeling bitter. Um, you know, what's that about? And then you start to evaluate, okay, well, my bitterness is coming from this and, you know, I could do X, Y, or Z about it and, and which, which path is best. Yeah. I, I spent a little bit of time listening to, I'm not sure if you've heard of a guy called Dr. Daniel Amen. He's, I'm not a hundred percent sure of his official title, but he works closely with brain research. And, um, one of the big topics in psychology that he speaks about, or one of the big topics that he deals with when it comes to developing your brain health is exactly what you've just spoken about. Mm -hmm. And he refers to it as squashing ants. And by ant, he means automatic negative thoughts, just as a nice little acronym. And uh, the way that he explains doing that is he, exactly what you've broken down. And he, he says that 
first of all, you're going to notice the you're going to notice when you start paying attention to it that every now and then a little ant will creep in. And he said, and a lot of people just learn to live with ants. They go, okay, well, I, I guess this is just the, the way the house is. Right. I can make two with it. And before you know it, there's an infestation that's sort of right. <laughs> overridden their whole life. He says, what you need to do, and the, the strategy that I use and, and probably need to do it more consistently is just with a, a like a dull, double column in my little notebook, I'll, I'll write down the ant, I'll write down whatever the frustration or the thought was um, that set off the emotion. And then on the flip side of it, I'll, I'll try and, write down a couple of just as reasonable or, um, you know, just as likely alternative ways to view that situation. It always amazes me that when you open up the options to how you can view a situation, either, you know, positive or in this instance, more likely negative, how many other ways there are to view it. And, and I think when it comes to acceptance, that's a really helpful step that I've found to use because it, it quite quickly changes the emotion around uh you know whatever's causing the the upset so that's a that's a really helpful one that's really good have you got tools when it comes to um the acceptance state stage of it because you're right I, I look at top athletes and um it often amazes me how many elite athletes especially in the distance running scene this isn't universal because there's some strong exceptions are very laid back um yes Australia's best distance runner, a friend of mine, Stuart McSwain, he's a, he's a 1256 man and he's the most relaxed guy you've ever met. He's mm -hmm. nothing bothers him. He was training with Nick Badeau's group here in Melbourne a while ago. And I was talking with another, another member of the Melbourne track squad. And uh, he was saying that on the day it was, I think it was a couple of weeks before they went away to the world champs a few years ago. <clears throat> and they're going down to have a final session, a big time trial, just as a real last blowout, um, you know, before race day. And they went down there and there was a little athletics group who were just doing like a trophy award ceremony and they were taking up the whole track. And one of the guys said, yeah, it was, it was really frustrating to the whole group because we had our mindset on this race, uh, on this time trial. And Stewie was like, oh, it's, uh, we'll just do it. We'll do it later, I guess. Like we'll just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. it was just a genuine, he didn't care. He just yep. learned to live with it. And I, I noticed that a lot. Whereas I think back in the day, I would have had more of the tendency to go, bloody, this is like, I'm, don't you know what I'm training for? Don't you know how fast I am? This is right. that, this is my time. You're 12. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's really interesting to notice that, but I, I love just knowing the processes that people are going through to get themselves to that particular mindset. Um, what are you using? Yeah, you know, that is part of the reason I I use narrative so much in, well, a lot of my books, uh, but but in the comeback quotient in particular, um, I wanted to see, I wanted uh, readers to see a lot of examples of what this looks like and just, um, you know, undeniable proof that things that don't seem possible are very much possible because people are doing them. Um, and you know, from my, I, I have this term, uh, I, I call it benign shaming, which is like when you, when you look like it's, it's, a, it's the, what's my excuse mindset. When, when you look at, you know, because like these, these people aren't superheroes, they're, they're flesh and blood human beings, you know, with a lot of talent, but, but that's the only difference really. They're just like us. And when you see them, um, you know, not freaking out when something seriously goes wrong and just being, you know, smart and resilient. Um, 
impatient it, it shows you like it, it it takes away any excuse <laughs> you know it's like it's so easy to pretend well oh anyone would react this way in my position uh-uh <laughs> no so i find it very helpful just to um it's really what i do with myself like when i when i saw how you know how the best athletes handled adversity i just i, I use it to sort of create um like a vision for the athlete I want to be. That, that's an exercise I do with a journaling exercise I do with a lot of the athletes I, I coach. As I say, like describe, just sit down and describe who you want to be. Like, what does it mean to compete as the best version of yourself? And you can inform that with, you know, you know, stories, examples of, of great athletes whom you admire. It's like, well, if, if so-and-so handled this type of setback in this way and you admire that, would you like to also be capable of, of reacting in the same way in a similar situation? And then once you have sort of like this clear vision of like, you know, the, 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 you, the, the you, you want to be, um, then you can, it, it's something to fall back on when, cause you know, these things always come by surprise, almost always comes by surprise. And so like they do catch you off guard. So, but it, but like when you have this, this sort of vision um, or this, you know, these these role models that you've collected, they they give you sort of a, like a like a it's almost like a life raft. It's like okay, I'm drowning, but there's a life raft. So like you know, what would so and so do uh, in this situation? Yeah, it's really helpful. It reminds me of when I'm on a plane and we hit bad turbulence. I always look at the flight attendants for comfort. Mm. If they're not panicked, <laughs> if they're not panicked, I'm not going to yeah. be too panicked. Why should either. I be? Yeah. yeah, it's a really good point. Um, and then we come into the embrace factor. Um, do you want to unpack that one a little for us? Yeah. Um, you know, the, you know, the, the, I think everyone, they have this expression in Australia as well. I'm sure, uh, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade and, and it's, you know, it's a cliche, but that's actually exactly what I'm talking about when, when I talk about, uh, fully embracing reality, um, you know, in a bad situation, it's like, you know, first you have to accept that you can't deny it. Like they're lemons, you have them. <laughs> you didn't want lemons, you wanted apples, but you've got lemons, <laughs> like deal with it. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, so embracing is really, that's when you say, you know what? I didn't want lemons. I don't like lemons, but I do know you can make lemonade out of lemons. And I like that. Like, it's not easy. I don't know how I'm going to have to wing it. So that's what embracing means. It, it is really that 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 pivot to you know making the best of the situation. And you know, an example I give, I don't think it's in that book, but elsewhere was something that happened to me. I was training for an Ironman triathlon, and I was about six weeks out from the race. I was really firing, like I was I was dialed in. I was I was getting fit, and I. Um, I strained a, a, a muscle in my chest wall swimming um, and I could not swim for two weeks. I, I, well, I could not use my, I could not raise my left arm overhead for two weeks, which is not so good for, for swimming. And, you know, that's a situation where like a younger me would have, um, would have had trouble, you know, cause like that, that, that's a really tough time to get a gut punch. It's like, you know, the race is close. Things have been going well. You're excited. You're having visions of what you're capable of. And then boom, uh, it's like, wow, you know, two, doctor says two weeks, don't lift your arm overhead. 
And so, but at this time, I was actually working on this book when it happened. So I'm like, well, time to walk the talk, Matt. Um, <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, what would, uh, I call these athletes ultra realists, the ones who, who are masters at fully facing reality. So I, I said, Matt, what would an ultra realist do in this situation? So um, I, I, first of all, like one thing that I, that I did that I would recommend to everyone do is like make no assumptions because we're very quick to say, oh, well, there goes my goal. Like it's out the window. Well, do you know that? I mean, it, it might be. Um, that's one. Number two is like, um, like how proud of myself will I be if, you know, in the, in the sec, in the six weeks remaining to this race with this, you know, there's, there's the setback, there's six weeks and then there's the race. How proud of myself will I be if I handle this like, like a champ, um, very proud. Like, and so it, it's helpful. Like, don't assume your goal is out the window, but also realize, oh, wait, there's still a way to succeed that is completely independent. Because if the goal is impossible to achieve because of the setback, well, you know, I mean, it, I mean, you can't, you can't, nobody can do the impossible. I like, I, I refer to it as shaking your fist at the rain. Like, what the hell sense does that make? Like, it's raining, you know, it's raining. It's, it just is. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I know you had a picnic plan today, but it's raining. Like you're, it's like, you're not getting anything accomplished by standing outside, shaking your fist yeah. at the clouds. So, so, so yeah, make, make no assumptions, but also realize like, like, honestly, like the races you feel best about usually are the ones where it's not like you, you PR or win, uh, it's, it's when you compete as the best version of yourself. Like those uh, are often the best uh, you know, the experiences you look back on most fondly. So th that opportunity is never taken away from you in these moments. So, so I sort of like, and that's what, that's what I mean. When I say embrace, I mean embrace. You're really saying, you know what? This sucks, but I'm like, now this is the challenge now. Like I'm not going to be defeated by this setback. And you can take a kind of pride in that where it, it really helps you keep your morale up because it's really easy to lose morale. It's like, well, my goal was to qualify for the world championship and I probably won't now. Okay, whatever, you know? Um, so, you know, so to, you know, just keep the energy, up, the, like the enthusiasm up to continue training hard. Um, it, it, you know, it helps to, still, to, 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 like, to, to define success in a way where you still have the possibility to, to succeed. And then the third thing is, and this really gets into, you know, from embracing to addressing is like, okay, like, what do you actually do? So, you know, for me, like, you know, the doctor said, well, you can't swim for two weeks. I'm like, I'm not so sure about that. So I went to the pool and I swam with one arm and, I, <laughs> and I'm like, who says I can't? And I did, I did a lot of kick sets. And what I started to tell myself, cause I, I'm actually not a terribly strong swimmer. That's my, that my weak uh, event in, in, in triathlon. So yeah, I told myself, you know what, this could be a blessing in disguise. This could be an opportunity. Cause like, I'll still have four weeks, assuming I recover. If I don't, you know, get too greedy and try to come back too quickly, I'll have four weeks to swim with both arms. And I can use those two weeks to, uh, to work on some weaknesses in my swimming, like breathing to my right side, I wasn't good at. And it's really helpful you know, when things are going well, you get lazy. Oh, I'll just keep breathing to my left because like it's easier. Well, now I'm like, this is an opportunity to, to work on that weakness. I also had a, have a weak flutter kick. So all those kick sets I did, 
I, I improved so much in my, in my kicking because that's all I was doing. I was just going to the pool and kick, 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 one arm, one arm, one arm. <laughs> and so, so, so that's part of it as well. You can get resourceful and creative uh, in these moments. And like, if, if you're just you know, stuck in, in disillusionment, you don't realize, you don't discover all these, um, these, these ways. It, it, it's like, it's what golfers call scrambling. You know, like when you hit an errant tee shot, and then you have to, you know, get up and down from a place you never would choose for your ball to land, you know, like between two trees, behind a rock. It's like you have to scramble. It's like, well, that's where the ball is. That is where mm -hmm. you have to hit your next shot from. And like and like, you know, the Tiger Woods is of the world. Like, why was he great? Because he was an incredible scrambler. It's like yeah. doesn't matter where the ball is. I was just thinking about Tiger Woods as you gave that example. Perhaps no surprise as a golfing example, but. I watched a documentary. I, I wish I could tell you what it was a little while ago. And I think it was, I think it was maybe about his comeback trail after sort of everything in his life just unraveled. Um, and he came back and his form wasn't super hot and he was getting back into it, but he was starting to find like a little bit more rhythm and it followed him through one of the major championships. And I, I'm not sure how far in he was, but he was well and truly down and, uh, his caddy or one of the members that were with him was saying, Tiger, like, let's just uh, stay focused. You know, we could still finish in the top 10 and the camera was on him and he stopped and he looked at this guy. He's like, I'm going to win. Like, I'll, you've just set me off. I'll win. And, and he did. And I know that's like the pinnacle of the example of what you're speaking mm -hmm. about and sort of the cream of the crop of the elite athletes who have this ability to not only scramble, but, but really, really unscramble as well, <laughs> which is good. And what's funny is, <clears throat> I'm sure you recognize this, but I notice in every person, there's such a huge respect and appreciation for a comeback story. Like you look at the Rocky movies and you go, okay, well, the inspiration with this story is he wasn't supposed to win. He's not supposed to be the champ. And somehow right. he battled his way through. But I always say it's uh, everyone loves a Rocky story once it's written, mm -hmm. but as it's being written, it's the most frustrating, <laughs> difficult, disappointing time, which as you say, becomes the real challenge. And, I think, I think that's a great point that you've made is just recognizing that that's the new challenge and addressing it, going to the pool with one arm and swimming. And it's funny when you said that, I just pictured you swimming around in circles, but I'm glad you had those leg, those, <laughs> those leg kicks going well as well. Now, it makes a, it makes a lot of sense. And um, I guess for, for anyone listening, as I've sort of touched on a few times now, like we, we often feel as though we're unique, we're there by ourselves in those situations, but um, as you and I have said, just in sort of 40 minutes worth of conversation, it's a, a fairly universal principle. And um, I, I think you've touched on a hot, sub, hot subject. I'll, um, I'll definitely, I'll tag the, uh, I'll, I'll put the, um, the comeback quotient in the show notes for anyone who wants to tap into that a little bit more. But on more of a um, personal level and to step away from that particular topic, what are you, what are you working at at the moment? You sound like the uh, kind of guy who's always got a, uh, got a little project on the run from, you know, just the mention of the notebooks and, the ideas going through your mind? Yeah, this is true. Um, uh, the, you know, the, the project I'm most excited about uh, right now is um, it's, uh, I keep using foul language. I hope that's okay. But uh, no, go I mean, for it. Go for, okay. You're in good company. <laughs> okay. I figured, yeah, you're an Aussie, you're a stand up comedian. Uh, you, you really hard okay. to offend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the title of this book I'm working on, it, it's for anyone listening who has read How Bad Do You Want It? Uh, another book of mine. It's it's in that vein. Uh, and this one is called Screw Loose Shit Together. And the subtitle is A Theory of Athletic Greatness. Um, 
So it's it's very similar. It's based on my observation. I got, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but I, you know, I'm very, very interested in psychology, especially as it relates to sport. And and I, I study, I study the minds of great athletes. Um, and one thing I've noticed again and again, and they talk about themselves in this way. So this is not me calling, you know, great athletes crazy. They call themselves that. Or like, you know, I'm a I'm I'm addicted, like I have an addictive personality. Like that is part of my my formula. But they have this this two-sided nature where it's like it's almost two opposite qualities that you wouldn't think could coexist in the same people. Like they've got a screw loose in the sense, not that they're, you know, diagnosed with, with a mental illness, but that they're unbalanced in some way. And that's where like they don't want to win. They need to win. And if you if you look at the examples, like where does that come from? It runs really deep in their in their psychology. Like, you know, how it, sometimes it's like, you know, sort of hard, you know, genetic hardwiring. Often it's traumatic early life experience uh, where they just like, you know, they are going to outwork you. They're going to outsuffer you because they need to <laughs> because they, they can't help it. Um and so they're, they're a little bit psycho, but at the same time, they have their shit together. And, um, you know, the, the proper psychological term for it is, is self-regulation. They're, they're masters at self-regulating, not in every context, like self-regulation is just how we control our thoughts, feelings, and actions in pursuit of goals. So we're, I mean, when are we not doing that? Right. Um, but so they, but they might not be the best at self-regulating in like, romantic relationships but in, in the sporting context they just have an, an incredible ability to you know think feel and do helpful things <laughs> in pursuit of winning and to avoid doing harmful things so it's just fascinating to me because i you know i i've you know bounced this theory off of champion athletes and and they're like yeah you are you are describing me um and for this one i actually did I, like i said i'm not i'm not a scientist but i I teamed up with a couple of real scientists um, to conduct. This is the first actual study I've ever been involved in. We took a, a bunch of elite runners and put them through a standardized personality profile to, to try and figure out like which personality traits map to these screw loose and, and shit together qualities. So that that was a lot of fun. That uh, did you have any of the data back yet that you're allowed to speak about? Is there any real commonalities between? the athlete personality types and success in the world of elite sport? Oh yeah. Yes, absolutely. It varies a little bit by sport. Like, so it's like, um, you know, champions in individual sports are not quite the same as champions in team sports, which, which makes sense. Right. Um, uh, you know, women tend to be a little bit different from, from men uh, and some of the characteristics, but there are, there are some that you see again and again and again in across the spectrum. Um, and so the, you know, the, like the, the shit together side maps to, uh, one of the big five, uh, personality traits, uh, conscientiousness. Um, so that, that is one you see them scoring very, very high, uh, for conscientiousness. Often they score very high for the trait of prudence. Um, so that again, you can see like that, okay, that's sort of a, a shit together quality. Like prudence is just like knowing when to quit, like, Honestly, I, I told you about, uh, you know, my experience with the with the professional runners in, in Flagstaff, Arizona. So it's like 13 real elite runners that I was surrounded by for 13 weeks. I never saw so many athletes bail out of workouts like they, they quit way more often than recreational runners do. Yeah. Why? Prudence. They're like, 
I have nothing to prove. It's dumb for me to finish this workout. Their ego wasn't going to take a hit. They were just, they, they were just smart. Um, so those, yeah, those, those, those are the sum on the, uh, on the screw loose, no shit together side on the screw loose side. Some of the personality traits, um, the, the big ones, and these, these are almost universal competitiveness, <laughs> but I mean, like, but it, it makes sense, right? Because like past a certain point, competitive competitiveness starts to look a little crazy. You know what I mean? Um, like, like when people are just like, they got to win everything all the time. And, and you look, and you look at the stories of, of you know, truly great, not just yeah, elite, but great right, athletes. Yeah. Free <laughs> yeah. Fontaine back there. Great example. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so that like ultra competitive and then boldness is another, it's, you mm. know, it's just like some of these terms, like we don't use in common language, but they're well known to personality psychologists. So boldness is just like, it's, it's Tiger Woods saying, what the hell are you talking about? Top 10? Like, I'm going to win. It's like, Tiger, there's only eight holes left and you're in 19th. It's like, <laughs> like that's boldness. It's just like, you, you look at them like, you're nuts. <laughs> yeah. And then they go out and do it. Yeah, it's incredible. That's good. I prefer, I prefer your term over, what was it? Self- Regulation. Self-regulation. Nah, screw loose shit together is a much better scientific <laughs> term in, in my opinion. It's something that's really noticeable. I noticed this with a lot of top athletes and a great example of this at the moment would be um, Jakob Ingebrigtsen just currently, he's the kind of guy that when you know that when he's on the start line of any race, he's going to be incredibly, incredibly hard to beat because he seems to have this, well, not only incredible talent, but this incredible ability just to be able to rock up. And I, I would have put Matt Centruitz in this category um, up until sort of the 2016 Olympics. He just, you knew that every time he was on the start line, he's going to be in the top couple. He just knew how to race. Nick yeah. Willis. There's some great examples of athletes who who just continually rock up at major championships and seem to have this ability. And as you say, you have no idea what um, the outside of their life might look like. And Tiger Woods, I guess, is a classic example of that. Where just because you can tie, keep your shit together on the golf course, doesn't mean your shit's together everywhere else. And <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's a really interesting observation and, and something that's really true. But uh, it's amazing how how many athletes do have that capacity to to just flick that switch and make sure come game day they're there that they're ready to roll so this is a new book that you're putting together yeah yeah it'll be out uh sometime next year i'm i'm sort of taking my time with it um like i just uh i want it to be as good as i can possibly make it which is i guess true of everything but sometimes i feel like because i have so many ideas like i i, I do i get it like 95 percent as good as i can make it and then i'm like I'm on to the next thing. Like, I, I, like, I, I don't want to do that with this one. Like I want, I mean, it, it won't be perfect because I'm not a good enough writer to make it perfect, but I want it to be like as good as I can possibly make it. Um, so I've been working at it for a while and uh, yeah, it will be out uh, six to nine months from now. Awesome. How do you structure your writing? Is that almost like a training regime for you? Do you have structured parts of your day where you dedicate that to the actual writing? Yeah, I think, you know, I think most writers are really creatures of habit, as are most serious athletes, right? Like, it's just like, your routine is your routine. And like, you know, you're, you're, you know, <laughs> you're poking the bear if you if you mess with, um, with our routine. And so yeah, for me, because like, it, you know, there's so many parallels actually between the writing life and, and the endurance sports life. Um, like so much of it is rhythm. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, for me, I, I was always very injury prone. And so I just, it, I, it was a struggle for me to get in, in a, in a rhythm as an athlete. It's just like, okay, as soon as the, you know, like me pulling or, you know, straining my chest and in, in the swim six weeks out, uh, from, from Ironman, like that's classic Matt right there. Um, <laughs> but like magic happens when you get in a flow with your, like, like I've had periods when I'm healthy and, you know, I ran my fastest marathon at the end of that fake pro runner stint in Flagstaff at 46. And it was like my 50th marathon. I hadn't come wow. within nine minutes of that time in nine years. Um, and it was, it, it was you know, partly because what the pros do work, but, but partly because I was healthy and I was able to, to get into a rhythm and, and writing is the same thing. Like every day looks about the same for me. And I like it that way. Like it looks boring from, from the camera's view, but like there's a party going on inside my head. because like, <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, like, my wife would tell you, like, she's a little bit bored by me, but. Uh. Uh, yeah. My, my wife, my wife would say the same thing about me. I, uh, I definitely appreciate that from the, uh, the comedy writing perspective. I like the way you put it. There's definitely a, a party going on in my head as well. Is is it just running that you're writing about, or you're writing about other topics as well? Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, when I was younger, um, I, I I tried my hand at I mean, much younger <laughs> at different things. But it, honestly, like um, you know, w w growing up, I I, I did not. I did not, I mean, I had big ambitions as a writer because uh, my, my dad was a successful novelist. And I'm like, that is sexy. Like, I, I want to be like, you know, I mean, like I want to do that. And and so when I landed that job, that first job I, I mentioned in sports writing, I, I liked it, but I almost viewed it as slumming it. And, and and so I always was working on my own stuff. Like, okay, like I pay the bills and have fun writing about uh, running endurance sports, but I'm, I was always working on something else. But that, that something else never panned out, and it was because it wasn't all that good. And it, it, you know, it it took me a while to realize it's like, wait a minute, like, who says you can't write great stuff about sports? Like, who yeah. says you can't put everything you have to offer creatively into something that just happens to be about sports? And like, when I had that epiphany, I was all in. It's like this is what I know. They say write about what you know. Um, so, you know, my books are, you know, most of them, they, they really are about more than sport, you know, when it comes yeah. down to it, they're just like, you know, sport is like the, the entry point. Um, so I feel like I have the best of, of both worlds. I can just, you know, come up with something and no one can stop me. I'm just going to write it. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Before, before I let you go, are there any particular writers that you really enjoy reading, like in either the world of sport and running and beyond? Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you who I was probably most influenced by as a writer, and this is going to be like out of left field, but it's the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, <laughs> because like uh, his writing, like, you know, he's, he's thought of as a philosopher, but I think he's one of the greatest prose writers who, who ever lived. Um, and it's like, you could just like take, take one of his books, open up to a random page and like throw a dart at it and then just put the, whatever sentence it lands on, on a t-shirt and it would be fantastic. <laughs> like that's a, like everything he wrote, every sentence was epigrammatical. Yeah. Um, and so like that level of like, it's like, there's this density to it. Cause like he, he doesn't write like a, I'm, anyone could read him. Like, you know, if you don't read German, you have to read it in English or whatever, but just like every sentence is like a bumper sticker slogan just like this is just taut muscular uh just 
sentences you can just chew on. So I, I will, I will never be the next Nietzsche, but like he, he's like the one who has sort of influenced the way I try to write. Cause you know, I, you know, I was an English major in college and you learn how to write, you, you learn how to overwrite, you know, when you study, when you, you know, get your you know, degree in, in, in English. And so I had to like, Nietzsche helped me like get over myself in terms of like trying to show off with my writing. It's just like, no, just, you know, just, just knock them in the jaw <laughs> yeah. with your sentences. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That was a, that was a good time. That was really fun for me. And I'm, uh, I'm super grateful that you, you made the time to come on and would love to have you back again in the future. Maybe when you, your next book comes out or, or before then, if you're interested, it'd be nice to touch base and, talk about one of your other books because you certainly got a uh, you certainly got enough to fill up half a bookshelf which is a which is a great thing for as you say not just runners but those interested in the psychology of elite sport so thanks so much for what you're putting out there man and, and thanks even more for for jumping on board today yeah i really enjoyed talking to you and yeah, happy to come back anytime awesome i'll leave you to it i'll see you soon see you later everybody Thanks for listening to the Relaxed Running Podcast. If you're ready to become a faster, more efficient runner, visit www.relaxedrunning.com.